He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lord, we come into your presence again today. We pray that you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, break up every fallow ground. Cause us to enlarge our tents, to receive what you have for us, O God. Holy Spirit, anoint this vessel of clay. Let the words not be the words of a man, but the voice of God. Grant me utterance in accordance with your mercy. Let the words that I speak to your people be spirit and life. Let every dryness be taken away. And let fruitfulness and moisture come in the lives of your people. I come against every opposition to God's word. I pull down every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. I ask that the Holy Spirit will go forth and do its work, O oh God. Above all, let me please you. And if there's anything that will be a limitation from me, Lord, I pray that you will cleanse by your blood and use me mightily in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please take your seats. Hallelujah. Before I start preaching, like I said last night, Let's learn to invest in spiritual things because they enhance our beauty spiritually than physically. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you may not find all the time in the world to sit down and listen to a whole message. But as the message plays in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your bathroom, you will see that things are changing and something is dropping into your spirit. When the word of God comes, it energizes us and it gives us strength. Sometimes I just take my iPod or whatever I have and I put on my earphones and I just sleep with the word. Because sometimes just somebody speaking into your spirit brings a certain supernatural strength that cannot come from anywhere else. And even if I fall asleep on the word, it's okay. Amen. Amen. And I wake up renewed and ready to go again. You know, the Bible says, he restoreth my soul. Why would he have to restore your soul if your soul will not be depleted and tired and old and... It's only things that are old that need to be restored. And our souls need constant restoration. Amen. Amen. 
So I want to remind you about the messages again. The spirit of the mind. The mind is the battlefield. Some of us allow our minds to stray, to think about anything. But the Bible has told us the things that we should think about. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, lovely, think about these things. So you can't just think about anything you like. Amen. Amen. And most of our battles are in our minds. And that's the place to win. Amen. Amen. The woman in the midst of change. It's an old message. But that has become new again. Yeah. And I think that it's good to get it because... And the brothers too, I believe, is still the word of God and it yeah. will bless you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the fact is that whether you like it or not, you go through changes. And whether you like it or not, even your body goes through changes. Yeah. So how do you survive in the midst of change? The types of hearts. We have hardened hearts, deceitful hearts, different types of heart. How can we guard our heart like the Bible says? Guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Mother, what do you see? It's a good one. Woman, who are you? Who is defining you? Is it Vogue magazine? Who is defining? Is it what your parents told you? What your husband says you are? How do you find who you are when God sets you free? Lessons from Delilah. Even bad people can teach us good lessons. Amen. Amen. And I believe that they are very valuable lessons from Delilah. What was Delilah's secret that Samson could not tear himself away from her? Wow. Apart from the fact that she was deceptive, there are many powerful things we can learn from her. So lessons from Delilah will prepare you. Amen. Fighting with spiritual weapons. One of the greatest weapons is love. And this is just one of it. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It says when you are fighting with your enemy, and you want to heal coals of fire on his head, then walk in love. So it will tell you real lessons and real practical situations in my own life that God has helped me to fight with spiritual weapons. And then the ministers, wives, or women in ministry conference, or stroke women in ministry, the sense of Vashti, types of women, remedies to contention, strife. What are some of the remedies you need this to change your life? My mother, my mother. Wow. It's also a powerful one. And several others. Then we have the junior daughter. DVDs that were preached last year in Ghana. There were 1,200 and something youths, and we had a junior daughter. It was profound. I myself, my life was affected by that program. And then types of relationships. You see, types of relationships, we have part one, part two, part three, part four. So even though I will preach about types of relationships, you still need to get, because I cannot preach about all the types. Amen. Amen. And the resilient woman, be ye steadfast and movable. In this uh, conference, there are many things that we talked about. 
apart from the resilient woman, but the theme for the Kodesh conference this year was the resilient woman, and it was opened by Bishop Dagiwood Mills. You see all that there. And I encourage you to get the little books, Avoid Temptation, Get Understanding, The Strange Woman, Daughter, Be Spiritual, Daughter, whilst you wait, whilst you wait to get a husband, whilst you wait for what you want God to do in your life, Lady Pastor, what do I do in the interim? I believe that these books or booklets will answer all your questions. Amen. Amen. But this morning, I want to speak to you about types of relationships. Amen. Wow. Amen. It's a very, very, very long and diverse topic. But I pray that the Lord will help me bring some of the truths to you. Amen. Sometimes and often, Christians get into relationships. So, sometimes and many times we get into relationships. And uh, we often think that if a relationship is made up of two Christians, you understand, there should be no challenge in the relationship. But if you look at your own life and your relationship with God, even that is made up of one perfect person and one imperfect. But you have a lot of problems in that relationship. Sometimes you don't trust God. Sometimes you doubt him. Sometimes you wonder if he cares. Sometimes you wonder if he's there. Sometimes you wonder if he, he will do the things he said he will do. Sometimes you wonder if he hears your prayer. Sometimes you wonder if it's, it's worth staying with him or being faithful to him. These are all scenarios that play up in our minds concerning God. How much more when you are married or you are moving along with another human being why should it surprise you when you have the same sentiments that you have sometimes towards god towards another human being and even worse and then we say that oh but i thought it was a christian marriage it is a christian marriage all right but it is made up of two flawed people amen two people who are not perfect have come together. Why do they think that they will create a perfect union? Wow. Amen. Amen. And why do we have surprises that sometimes we should not have? It's because sometimes the books and the movies that you have watched have given you a false impression of life. Because many times when you watch a movie, the man has come to say bye-bye to the woman at the train station. It's raining with a few drops. They are finding it very difficult to part. The woman has tears in her eyes and the man too. And the whistle goes and the train has to go. And they go like that. And then her face is in the window panes. Don't leave me this way. And then it cuts. It doesn't show us their life thereafter. It doesn't show us that even as they are even beloved, they have differences. As to opinion, how we all think is different. 
how we feel is different. So many things that the movies don't show. And how can a movie show you an entire life within 45 minutes to an hour? It can never be. And then, as we grow up and we move into courtship and all that, uh, the people talking to us have learned lines from books and movies. So sometimes your beloved comes to visit and says that, Lay your troubles on my shoulders. Put your worries in my pocket. They say, this one, you will really care for me. I should put all my troubles on his shoulders. And my worries, he will pocket them. Let me ask you, he himself his problems. Has he been able to carry them and put them in his pocket? It is more than a sackful. How come when he tells you that lay your troubles on his shoulders, this one will care for me till eternity? It is not that he will not, but he's incapable. And he makes your problems so minuscule, so small. He says, I'll put them in my pocket. And you say, oh, I really need help. And if I, I, I hook up with this person, you know, my problems will be put in his pocket. Only God can carry our problems. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So it is not that relationships are not good. They are good. They are created by God to meet needs. But our expectations are not realistic. Amen. And our expectations are not even often scriptural. God will never give you a human being. Hey, last night it was a cockroach. Today it's a bee. <laughs> God will never give you anything. God will never give you anything that replaces him. Do you understand? Whether it's a man or a woman, God will not give you something that will not let you need him anymore. Will not create a man that can meet your every need 100%. Why? Because if he does, then he, God, has become unnecessary. Dispensable. And he said that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen. And you, when you meet Peter, you meet John, you want to make a God out of him. And God will never let that happen. Not because Peter is evil, but because Peter is human. So sometimes he will say to you, Robert, Robert, is that you? Yes. I'm coming to visit you at 2 o'clock. And you put your everything on hold. Ladies, you won't work again. You can't function again because Robert is coming to your house. And then at 2 o'clock he calls and he says, Oh, the train has delayed. You know, like when I was coming from Dubai, we got there and we were supposed to board the plane and get here at 7.25 in the morning. When we, bought, when we went to check in and everything, we sat down for a while, about 30 minutes. Then they said, oh, the flight has been delayed for five hours. You see? So it's not even Robert's fault that he was not able to come. But something greater than him called Emirates. 
has affected his promise to you. And that's because Robert himself is limited as a man. But our God is not limited by anything. Hallelujah. And because we have unrealistic expectations, we end up feeling that, no, we've been shortchanged. No, I'm not getting enough. No, what? So that's why I want to speak about types of relationships. Because when I look at the Bible, there's not one saint that had a life without trials and temptations. That had a life without any challenges. Then you are no human. Amen. Amen. When I look at Abraham, he had his challenges. Sarah told him, you know, just take Hagar and everything will be right. And when he did, that rather brought problems to his house. Sarah said, eh, since uh, Hagar got pregnant, can't you see the way she looks at me? I don't, you know, forgetting that she created the problem in the first place. Or, or she, she, she brought the idea. And now Abraham could not even solve the problem. When you look at David, he had more wives than you and I can count. When you look at Solomon, God told him, if you go after strange women, they will turn your hearts. God had appeared to him twice. He had seen God live twice. God had given him wisdom, riches, everything. But still, he had a failed relationship. Amen. Amen. When you look at the sons of Jacob, they went, they didn't treat the women amongst whom they were in the land of Canaan. They didn't treat them well. And the list goes on. When you look at even Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, when Mary became pregnant, the Bible says that Joseph thought to himself to privately put her away. There's mistrust and doubt. Because we are with Mary, then he, she comes and says, I'm pregnant. And Joseph says, really, but we are not married yet. She says, it's of the Holy Ghost. Look, you and I will never believe such a thing. So already, even before Jesus will be born, the relationship is in turbulence. Do you understand? So there's no relationship that God has created that doesn't have its challenges. But if we are able to look in the Bible, then our lives will not be used as guinea pigs for God to prove a point. Okay? So turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 20, which is our key verse on which everything rests. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Are we there? Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Most men will profess their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Now, what is the Bible saying? Saying that most men will say that, oh, I'm good. I'll take care of you. I love you. I care. I'll lay down my life for you. They'll proclaim their own goodness. But a faithful man who can find. Now, when the Bible says who can find, it doesn't mean they don't exist. Because it says a virtuous woman who can find. Then it goes on to enumerate what a virtuous woman is. Do you understand? Yeah. 
But when it says who can find, it means that they are very rare. That's right. That's right. Amen. Yeah. And even the reason why he will stay faithful to you is because of God's word, not because of his feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Amen, sons. So many men will profess their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Sisters, keep this verse in your head. Okay? All right. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3, the first relationship I want us to look at. Genesis chapter 3. Okay, let's read verse 2. Genesis 2 from verse 22. Genesis to chapter 2, verse 22, before we come to chapter 3, sorry. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. Amen. Now, marriage is God's idea. And it's God who fashioned the woman by taking the rib. And it's God who brought her to the man. And then when God brought her, God didn't say anything to introduce the woman to say, oh, you know, I was looking at your problem and then I thought that you were lonely and I was... God had held a conversation with himself. But when he brought the woman to the man, he didn't hold a conversation with man. But as soon as man saw it, he saw that this is a solution to my problems. So, wow, this is woman. Wow, man. You know? So this is woman. It is man who said it. It wasn't God. God just fashioned and then he got a reaction from man. And the man said that this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, unlike the animals. So she shall be called woman. He gave the name. She shall be called woman. And then the Bible says, for this cause, because of man's reaction to woman, he would like to live with her for the rest of his life. Amen. Amen. So for this cause, a man shall live his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they too shall be one flesh and then the Bible says and they were naked and they were not ashamed so there was joy in the garden there was peace there was no contention there was no problem they never had an argument they never had anything they didn't understand they never had difference in temperaments everything was on course the Garden of Eden was a perfect place. And that was God's idea for you and I. God did not intend relationships and marriages to be turbulent. God did not intend relationships and marriages to be full of strife. God did not intend homes to be broken. It was not his intention. He created a garden, a paradise, a place of serenity. And that is where he put man and woman. A man and woman flowed till a third person came into their lives. Amen. Amen. One of the things that worry relationships is the existence of the third party in the marriage. Third parties who control the people. Sometimes the third parties don't control both the man and the woman. 
but they just have to like Satan affect just one partner in the relationship and then that partner will change like Eve and then the whole relationship goes another way so when Satan wanted to infiltrate what God had created he didn't go to both Adam and Eve he went to just one party because he knew that God had said that they shall be one flesh so if they are one and you attack one side of the one you are okay you don't need two to destroy a union when you just have one it's okay in the same way sometimes you don't need two to have a healthy relationship you just have one and still God can use that one to work out something good and that is why God says in his word that if you are a lady or even a man and you are married to somebody who does not believe in the word the Bible says that by your behavior when they build your behavior and your God-fearing nature they can be turned around because God recognizes that it doesn't take two it takes you and God to change the equation in the same way it takes you and Satan to change the equation and Satan comes to us in the form of ideas are you going to sit down to be downtrodden like that are you not going to have an opinion will you not shake yourself a bit and show him where power lies don't you think that when you show women that they are, you are tender they take advantage of you so many verses that Satan brings you away and when Satan comes into a relationship there are certain things that happen and let's go to Genesis 3 it will show us what happens verse 12 okay let's read verse 11 and he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat and the man said the woman whom thou gavest to be with me she gave me from the tree and I ate then the Lord God said to the woman what is this you have done and, and the woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate and then God begins to churn out the curses I want you to notice that God asked Adam who told you that you are naked when Satan comes into our relationships sometimes we go under a cloud of guilt and condemnation because we all have consciences and such that we can tell that this area is my area of weakness this area I always fall in this area this area I'm not doing my best this area I don't try and all that but when is God he brings conviction not condemnation but when it's Satan he brings condemnation you see I knew that you would never make it you see you are not a virtuous woman you are a contentious woman do you see how you are do you see that you are some way but God will show you your faults and then partner with you to make you what he wants you to be Amen. but Satan will show you your faults and leave you there that you are this you are that you are that I just want you to know that's all so as soon as Satan came into the relationship with Eve 
the whole relationship was contaminated. Now, by saying third parties, I don't say that don't seek help when you need it, but don't allow the wrong person to come between your spouse and you. Sometimes the wrong person may have good intentions, but it's not good intentions that help. Amen. Amen. Just before I came, somebody had a problem and I was counseling the person. But the person had told her mother, her father, her, so? Now even when the spouse appears before the in-laws, he looks so bad. And I was telling her, you see, when you have forgiven your husband, your in-laws have not forgiven and they have not forgotten. Every time they see him or her, they remember. So they will say that, so has she changed now? So how are you coping? You have moved on. But they are also emotional over you. And so they are hurt and then they've changed their perspective. They don't respect the person anymore. And so then the person also withdraws because he cannot also be coming to a house where he feels vibes that, you know, I'm some way. Do you understand? Nobody goes to a place of condemnation and accusation. Everybody goes to a place of praise and appreciation. The Bible says, as refining pot to silver, so is a man to his praise. When you praise, the silver becomes better. When you encourage, the silver becomes better. But when you put down, it doesn't become better. You know. So I, I said to the person, it's true that you may be close to your parents, but they may not always be the best marriage counselors because first of all, they'll be biased. In law, we say that nemo udex in causa sua. You cannot be a judge in your own cause. Because when you are a judge in your own cause, you will not be fair. Do you understand? So sometimes when there's a trial, you can come and say that this judge, I don't think that he should be on the case. And then you have to give reasons. He had a problem with my uncle already. And then I'm appearing before him. So already he will be, he will, he will be biased. So I don't have to appear before this judge. And it's the same way when you Bring third parties that should not come in into your marriage. Honor is difficult to restore. So when the honor is lost, then, then you don't know what to do. Do you understand? But somebody you could bring in is your pastor. Because normally your pastor will not be biased. Your pastor will give a fair judgment. Although it may not be what you want to hear. Do you understand? But your, fa your pastor is less inclined to be biased than your own parents. Because every parent feels that their children are good. I mean, my daughter is good. She's not the problem. It's my son-in-law. My son is good. It's not the problem. It's my, my daughter-in-law. You understand? So when you bring a stranger, and even you bring Satan into your relationship, you have introduced another dimension that God never intended. Now, one of the typical things about certain relationships is that we enter into the blame game like Adam and Eve. When God asked Adam, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? What, what has happened? Have you eaten of the tree I told you not? So that is the woman you gave me. But when God first brought the woman, he didn't complain. He said, wow, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. He didn't say, what have you brought? But when things go wrong, we don't want to look in ourselves and find the problem. We want to point our hands to the other partner. If you didn't do this, I also not do this. So it has become action and reaction. And because of that, relationships never become healthy or become what God 
intends them to. And then when Eve is also asked, she blames the serpent. He says, not me. I was just here. The serpent beguiled me or deceived me. And I also ate. Then when God addressed the serpent, he had nobody to blame. So he had to take it like that. In the marital relationship, or in any relationship, God has not called us to fix the other partner. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is why the Bible doesn't say that Priscilla is at work in him to will and to do. You are not at work. You, you have enough work on your plates to be trying to fix somebody else. So Lady Pastor, if it were not him, if it were not her, if you were only to straighten out, then everything would be... No. You look on your plate and see what is there. If it's cucumber, you have to cut, cut it. I am not saying that don't tell your other partner that oh, when you do this, I can't really flow. I have difficulty. But I'm saying that the change in the partner does not depend on you. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to change anybody. And it's the Holy Spirit that transforms. And we get frustrated because we are busy changing people. We want to change their temperament. Give them another temperament. You are sanguine. You are always throwing your things about. Try and gather them. It's good to say. But the real change is by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, when the Holy Spirit has come, it shall convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why you cannot flow is because, you know, we look at other people's faults with magnifying glasses. And we look at our own faults with rose-colored glasses. So we see everything rosy. So, oh, no, the reason why I did this is this. You know, you are more sympathetic to yourself. That's why, like I said yesterday, when you are walking and you knock your foot against something, you don't cry. But when somebody says, you have really hurt me, you really hurt me. But when it's you, you just straight up say, oh, this door, pa. <laughs> so the healthiest approach in such a situation is to look on your own plate. Even if 90% comes from my wife, even if 90% comes from my husband, there's a 5%, there's a 1% that is on my plate, and I have to deal with it. Hallelujah. The first relationship that was flawed, it was you, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. The serpent, he beguiled me. So then, the relationship will never be fixed. We will never deal with our issues. Because we, we don't even accept when we are told that, oh, I think you have a problem with fear. Me, I've never feared. I'm a very, very, very bold woman. If you don't know, but look within. You may see that the basis of everything has been fear. Sometimes you grew up, you know, I was talking to a lady. She said that in one of our foreign churches. She said that just a few days ago. She said, I don't want to marry any African man. And I said, why? She said, because I don't have a good mind about them. And I said, what, what, where is it from? She said, from my father. I know it's not right, but Lady Pastor, I have to tell you, that's where I'm at. I said, what did your father do? So I saw my father, the way he treated my mother, and a lot of infidelities. So I have come to see an African man as a stereotype of that. And 
because of that, lady pastor, as for that road, I will not go on it. If somebody like that gets married to an African man, the man has been judged and sentenced before he's married. And therefore, she will be looking out for certain traits that she already knows exists. And so when she sees something, she will, she's likely to interpret it quickly as that thing. And then it compounds a problem. She would not know that there are different African men. Because that is not her thinking. Her thinking is that all African men are this way. But anyway, I'll marry this one and see. And when she does, then she has all these other problems. But if she would look in herself and say, because of where I'm coming from, I have, I have cultivated a culture of mistrust. I don't trust. I'm suspicious by nature. Because of what I've been through. Nobody is saying that you are evil because of that. But we are saying there's no right. And you have to allow the Holy Spirit to change it. Amen. So when you see the issues of your, on your plate. And you are able to deal with it. Then healing starts to come. Wholeness starts to come. But if you adopt Adam and Eve, their attitude, the woman you gave me, the serpent, the this, the that, then we cannot even hear the Holy Spirit speak. And the Holy Spirit cannot correct anything in our lives. I always pray against the spirit of stubbornness. Because I believe that that was what was on Saul. You know, someone would say that, look, you were supposed to kill all the Amalekites. You didn't kill them. They said, oh, it's not me. It's the people. He said, you are supposed to kill all the sheep. And all. Oh, I saved them to give God as a sacrifice. But God said, kill them. He didn't tell you he wanted a sacrifice. Everything, you have an explanation. But when David was confronted by the prophet God, that you are the man who, whatever, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. Forgive me. Then he goes fasting, prayer, before God. Please. God says, I'm going to forgive you, but your child is going to die. This and this will happen. But he humbles himself and he allows God to work on him. And that is how come his reign was cut short. But with Saul, a lot of arguments. Is it the sheep? No. I saved them for this. I was waiting for you somewhere and you never came for the sacrifice. Always. If you are looking for good reasons, you will have them. But if you are looking for a broken and a contrite heart, that's what the Bible says. God will not despise. So if we can come to him and say like David, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. These days I've learned to pray, Lord, if there's anything you are trying to reach me about, and I'm blind, and I'm not penetrable, you can't reach me, please, by your mercy, somehow reach me, so that you can do that way. Because you can easily have a blind spot when you are driving. Sometimes you look in all your mirrors. But when the car is within a certain orbit or a certain uh, area, you don't see it. And you can easily have an accident. So you are taught that in spite of your driving lessons, you have blind spots. And many of us have blind spots that only the Holy Ghost can reveal. And the Holy Ghost reveals to a broken and a contrite spirit, a humble heart. That's the one that the Holy Spirit works. So the first relationship is that relationship that is built on just blame. You see, when I say you do the blame game, it doesn't mean there are no other aspects of your relationship. 
But I'm saying that there are different types of relationship with all the different types of brokenness. Amen. Amen. And with Adam and Eve, as soon as Satan came in, one of the things that we can see is pointing of the finger. It's you. If you behave properly, I will not be afraid. But whether he behaves properly or not, your anchor is God, not man. The Bible says, Cursed is he who puts his trust in man and makes the arm of flesh your, your, your main, your confidence. Amen. Amen. And so when you deal with that, then now you don't operate in fear anymore, not because you don't have cause to, but because you have learned to find your rest and your trust in God. At first I thought that when God says, fear not, it means that there's nothing to fear. In terms of, you don't have good reason to fear, then you don't fear. But when you have good reason, God understands that you are afraid. But when I read about Jesus asleep in the boat, and the boat being filled with water, and there was a great storm, and the disciples were afraid, and they went to wake and said, Careth not thou that we perish. He woke up and he said, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? O ye of little faith. So even in the midst of trouble, he wants us to trust. Even in the midst of trouble, he wants us to believe. And sometimes a good place to say, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm struggling with trust. I'm struggling with faith issues. Help my unbelief. And he will help us. Amen. Amen. First Samuel 25. We'll come back to Genesis, but First Samuel 25. It's a good relationship there that you should look at. First Samuel is before kings and before second Samuel, okay? Learn to know the Bible for yourself. It will save your life. We are reading from verse 2. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 2. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Camel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, if you like, 3,000 Benzes, Cadillacs, something in those days, and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was sharing his sheep in Camel. Now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, or wise and beautiful in appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. Okay? And the story goes on. What happened is that David comes and asks this Nabal for help. That we have been security guards to your sheep, your servants, and we have never asked for anything. But now we are feeling a bit hungry, and we've seen that you are sharing your sheep and all that. Please give us some of your servants' food, not even your food, oh, to help us. And the neighbor, in the typical way, he talks rudely, anyhow, dismisses David and forgets about it. Then a servant tells Abigail about it. And Abigail decides to go and intercede for her household. So she goes and then she looks for David. And she talks to David that, don't do it. Please, it's not going to work properly. And David then listens to her. Verse 32, then David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me and blessed be your discernment or your advice 
and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Then 36, then Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But it came about in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal that his wife told him these things and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, it happened that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. And she arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maid servant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail slowly arose. Verse 42. Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David had also taken Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Amen. Amen. Now, from the beginning, what we read, you see, the Bible says that Abigail was a woman of good understanding and beautiful. Usually, these two don't go together. Sometimes like when people are very beautiful, they don't have any sense. They don't have any wisdom. They are empty spiritually. They are just a shell. But Abigail was a woman of good understanding, and also she was beautiful. So you can be both. Wow. Amen. 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 You can be spiritual and still beautiful. You can be spiritual and still look after yourself well. Amen. Amen. And then she had married this man that the Bible says. He was very great in terms of possessions. Do you understand? But the Bible says that he was a fool. I didn't say it. The man was harsh. And evil in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. He was harsh. When he is married to you, when you go out, he will disgrace you. He will talk anyhow to you. He doesn't care where you are. He will shout at you, hey, come here. And embarrass, total public embarrassment. That's how Nabal was. And Abigail was intelligent, beautiful, you know, discerning, knowing how to behave. And sometimes you wonder how such a woman could be attracted to a fool. But women do that. You have to be very careful as a woman who you choose to be your head. Because when there are two divergent opinions, one person's opinion has to rule. And the Bible says, uh, uh, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. As unto the Lord. Do you understand? So when you choose a head who is a fool, he will lead you in various directions. <laughs> he may be great. He may have 3,000 sheep. A thousand goats, he may have a fleet of cars, he may be very wealthy and all that, but that is not what will guarantee your happiness. Amen. Amen. A lot of ladies, they just look for security. You see? So I see that when men are older, 
they are more eligible. More women want to marry them because it's like, I don't have to sweat so much. And then you have David who treats Abigail so nicely. When Abigail speaks, when Abigail speaks, David says, Blessed be thy advice. You are so wise. She had not had anybody appreciate her in years. But when she came to David, David appreciated her, treated her like a woman. So she thought that, in fact, if I had met David earlier, it would have been better. This foolish neighbor. And then she went to her house peacefully, not knowing anything. Then when David heard that neighbor was dead, he said, ah, but Abigail, she was beautiful. And she was also very sensible, full of wisdom, the wisdom from above. So I will send for her and marry her. And when the people came to get her, the Bible didn't say that. She even prayed about it. Or thought she arose quickly, quickly, because she felt that I've had enough of a bad marriage. I've had enough of a man who doesn't respect you, who doesn't appreciate you, who treats you anyhow. I've had enough. So as soon as the servant came and they made their proposal, quickly did she get up with her five minutes let's go, I'm ready. In fact, this man's death is a major deliverance. And then she comes to David. The Bible says that, hmm, the Bible says that, verse 43 of chapter 25, David had also taken Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 3. We'll see something there. 2 Samuel chapter 3. Read from verse 2. Okay. Sons were born to David at Hebron. His first one was Amnon by Ahinoam the Jezreelites. His second Chiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, Carmelite. And the third, Absalom, the son of Maka the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshu, and the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and the fifth, Shaphatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithrim, by David's wife, Igla. These were born to David at Hebron. Let me ask you, a man who has seven wives and a man who disgraces you in public, which one do you prefer? <laughs> Now, in Abigail meeting David, he thought she thought that the grass was greener on the other side. But the only thing she had done was that she had exchanged problems, but she had not exchanged any better life for anything. Every man you marry will be broken somewhere. Every woman you marry will be broken somewhere. The only thing is, the brokenness is in different areas. She first came, J David had the Jesuitites, Ahinoam. But within a short space of time, hmm, would you like to contend with Chiliab? No, Chiliab is a child. With Maka, the daughter of Talmiah, king of Gushu. And then Haggith. Then Abital. Then Egla. These are all rivals that you have. And you all live in the same house. So that David that treated you well and appreciated you, he also had his own problems. And if we will learn to celebrate the spouses that God gives us, and not live in a world of fantasy, thinking that the grass is greener on the other side, we will have healthier marriages, and we will not use our lives as experiments. Hallelujah. 
Many times you look over the wall and you see the neighbor's grass. And you say, oh, the grass looks very green. It's because they are always mowing it. And you don't want to mow your grass. You don't want to water anything. You don't want to pay any price. But you want nice grass. There's no relationship that just falls from heaven just like that. Yeah. Everything is worked on. And then the grace of God also helps you. Amen. When Abigail was called, she rose up quickly thinking that peace has come. Paradise has come. As for this neighbor, he doesn't respect me. He just shouts. And he does. But this David, even when I went to him, he even said to me, blessed be thy advice. He even appreciated my intelligence. But this neighbor, he will even seek my opinion. And David is a man who listens. When I advised him not to go to war, he stopped. He didn't go. But many men, when you talk to them, they don't listen. This one is a different kind. He listens. But every other woman also finds that he listens. The eggless, the chili-ups, the daughters of Geshu, they've all found that he listens. So that thing that I want to leave this one and go for that other one is a myth and a deception from Satan. And whenever something is not yours, it looks more glamorous than it really is. But when you live with the person, then you begin to wish for your neighbor. So at least, even if you used to insult with I was one. <laughs> and many women, sometimes, and men, are not content with their partners. They're always looking out the gates. Oh, I want a dynamic man. Dynamic man, he won't come home. You want a dynamic man. He's very dynamic, but you hardly see him. And the one who is cool, sitting there, he says, oh no, lady pastor, I don't want that. I want action. I want... I have a very nice spiritual son in Ghana. And I was trying to get a beloved for him. Two of the sisters. <laughs> oh, he's boring. I said, how do you know he's boring? Oh, mommy, he looks it. Ah. I said, look. This is very solid quality. Somebody who loves God. Somebody who is very serious about what he's doing. You know, he has bright eyes for the future. And you say he's boring. So when I look at his face, he looks boring. He does, and I want somebody who will make me laugh. Then get a clown or a comedian. I said, it is true that he has a serious face and all that, but you are also the opposite. You are the laughing kind, jolly, whatever. So you will bring sunshine into his life. So sister, consider it. So mommy, he's boring, cry. We can't. I said, what is boring about him? I don't see it. But they are looking for somebody who is without substance but can make them laugh. Laugh, will you pay bills with laughter? <laughs> will you live with laughter? You know? Since Mrs. Saki passed away, many people have been auditioning for the post. And I get so amused. I said to my husband, this death, the lessons that it has taught me, I couldn't have learned it any other way. Hey! Text messages, different ways. Hey! Some of them, face to face, proposals. I said, hey! 
It's not easy here. And one thing that has amazed me is the people who are proposing, none of them have passed their proposals to me. It's always through the men. Why? Because I can see. <laughs> Do you understand? So a lot of them feel that I don't know or it's just between them and then they send the text to the men I don't know. And I also don't have time to come and tell you, oh, I know. So when they come, hey, put any reverend. Good morning. I said, good morning. How are you? Hey, reverend, I'm fine. Oh, that's good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I don't have time to come and tell you that all these your antics and things I know. But I asked the men that, why do you think they have never told me that, oh, Sister Mami, we're interested in Bishop Saki. Also, because what another woman sees is not what a man sees. <laughs> you understand? And then my husband was asking me, so why? Why do they have that desire? What, what is that drive? I said, well, I'm sure it looks like a very glamorous seat. You sit in front. You have favored parking. When you come, somebody will help walk you into the service. You have people to say, oh, Mr. Saki, this way. Oh, Mr. Saki, that way. So I think that way you look so. That's all there is to it. But as to whether there's any price to pay, I don't think that's okay to anybody at all. Amen. Amen. But there's a price to pay for the front row. And it's not an easy seat to sit on. Amen. Amen. And I was even telling Bishop that I even think that these days it's easier because you have something to look at. But when we were in the ministry, we don't know any first lady anywhere. You don't know any pastor's wife anywhere. So you just be a Christian and you go according to what God has taught. But now, you know that, oh, I have to behave this way. I have to be gracious in this way. These are some of the roles I can play. Are, it's even easier. But still, it's not easy. Because there are times when you have issues. You are waiting for your husband to come home so that you unload on him. And then he's somewhere counseling somebody whose problems are less than yours. And then when he comes home, he's very tired and he's not thinking about your needs. He's thinking about my needs. Oh, have you run the bath? What am I eating? How am I there? Why is the food late? What? Your issues, they don't come in. You understand? Your issues have been relegated to the background somewhere. And you have to just forget about yourself. Get up and just minister because you are not now also going to come with your issues. Ah, you know, I also have issues that these are the... It's not like that. It's not like that. When your husband has to go on healing Jesus crusades, such as you need him for certain inputs, maybe things to do for the children, home, you need inputs. But sometimes where he has gone to is out of coverage area. He has gone to a village far away that when you call, it doesn't go. And then when he also calls, it doesn't come. So what are you going to do? Sit there and cry till he comes? No, you have to get up and have a life. Right. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Amen. 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 Sometimes you would, I would like, you know, I kept telling my husband, my mother and my father always came to church together. It is only in marriage that my husband goes before I come. And then when he's at the camp, he'll be saying, Brothers, don't wait for your wife, so don't make you late. Go ahead. <laughs> They will make you late. And I realized that. When we first got married and we had children, then he would go and take public transport and leave the car. Because I now have to bath the children, pack their bags, 
before I myself will go, by which time worship will be underway. Do you understand? So I thought, well, it's okay, let him go. But at a point I told her, you see this thing? I never knew that my life would be like that. Because I've grown up in a home where I always see mother and father going to church together. And then he just laughed. But one day I was sitting in church and he said, one day my wife told me something, it really pained me. And I was wondering, eh, what is that? She said that her father and her mother, they always go everywhere together. But as for now, she has to come on her own. I said, ah, I didn't know it pained him. <laughs> I only heard it in the same one. But if you say, oh, I'm going to leave this one, you know, because I have so many issues, too much selflessness, and I'm going to this side where the person does a nine-to-five job, comes home at the right time, sits at home all the time, there are other things that you also would not have. So the grass is not really greener at another side. When I was, I was with Bishop and he was starting the ministry, we were going, coming, whatever. I didn't know what the church would become. Do you understand? But then I thank God for the grace that he gave to follow. Because as you see me standing here today to preach, it's because of the platform that he has laid so that I can stand on it. And I thank God that he gave me the grace not to fight, but to support. Do you understand? The Bible says, and is, not the Bible, the world, there's a saying, and easy lies the head that wears the crown. Sometimes I look at Bishop, I tell you, I feel sorry for you. I call from Botswana, Sierra Leone, Switzerland, Australia, everywhere, and he has to take decisions. Okay, this is what you want to buy a bill. Of course, he has boards and all that to do that. But most of the final decisions rest with him. Or a, a missionary is going here and has been denied access or something to the country. And then what do we do? Okay, refer to the legal department. But what else? He has to call the missionary and assure the missionary. So many things. So I look at it. I feel so sorry for you that I can't add my issues to your issues. <laughs> you understand? And whatever the person goes through, you also carry it. You also carry, it's not that you are some um, detached person. So every place has its own challenges. If you are with Nabal, you will have your challenges. If you are with David, you will have your challenges. If you are with Abraham, you will have your, he's a type that says, eh, you are quite, the two of you should cry, I don't know anything about it, that type. <laughs> you see, so the grass is not greener anyway. Amen. We should learn to overcome the blame game and look at ourselves and see where we have contributed to anything in people's lives. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 20. When I was in America, we had a dinner, and then I said to them, let's vote. Those who will prefer neighbor and those who will prefer David. The people who will prefer neighbor won because women don't like competition. Amen. And one person said to me, I'm surprised, pa, the way the women have voted. I said, really? Then you don't know us. Why should you be surprised? That's why the Bible says, dwell with us according to knowledge. You need to go to the Academy of Women to learn about us. Genesis chapter 20, reading from verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev, and settled between Kadesh and Shu. Then he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. So Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. 
But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, would thou slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands have I done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this thing, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Amen. Then verse 9, Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have, I, how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered, that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is the kindness which you shall show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He's my brother. Verse 16 And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you and before all men. You are cleared. Amen. Now, this is the relationship where when it suits the person, he behaves as if he's not married to you. When it suits him, he does not stand and fight for you. When things are tough, he stands aside and he says, I don't know you, you are my sister. These are all great men of God in the Bible. Abraham was a father of faith, but he had a flawed relationship in some place. Amen. Amen. And Abimelech said, look, I didn't have any intention of taking your wife from you. But you said that she's your sister. And in fact, it took divine intervention for Sarah to be saved. What it meant was that even if Sarah was going to be raped, Abraham did not care because he was thinking about his skin. Sometimes in marriage, a spouse can be very selfish and self-centered. And we all have traits of self-centeredness in us and we seek self-interest. And one of the greatest lessons that marriage will teach you is that you need to be selfless to a very great degree. And we are all born, inborn. David said, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. We are born with a selfish streak to protect our own interests. Even the reasons why we marry are based on selfish reasons. We marry because she can cook for me. We marry because I think she'll be very good in the bedroom. We marry because I think that when I say something, she will not oppose me. We marry because she will help me in the ministry. We marry because he will take good care of me. We marry because, oh, he will be romantic and he will love everything, our interest. What will I get? What will I get from this? So when we marry, then we realize that it's more of what can I give? <laughs> and we are not ready for it. And so as Abraham is moving with Sarah, remember that God spoke to Abraham and not Sarah. That go out of your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And when God speaks to Abraham and he speaks to Sarah, Sarah is not like most of the modern women. She doesn't say that, where, where are we going? Why? I'm 65 or 70. Am I now going to change my friends, my country, my culture? I can't do that. There's no such thing. She follows. Meekly and mildly, she follows the man into whatever God has called him to. She has not even had God's purpose for her yet when they were leaving. God had not changed her name. The angels had not come to say that she's the woman who would give birth to the covenant child. There was no such promise. She was just going because her head was moving. So she was also moving. Now when I give up everything, including my relations, my family, my savings in a place, my comfort zone, the friends I'm used to, and at the age of post-retirement, you are telling me that God has called you to a place. I follow you. And then when we run into difficulties, you leave me alone. It's like, you don't know me. I should fight my own fight and sort myself out. Of course, it will lead to bitterness in me because I've sacrificed so much to follow you. And then when trouble came, you didn't protect me. Why you came to stand here with your vows? Stand by you in all things. You said it. To be a husband by you and to stand by you in all things. But when it came to this, you didn't stand by me. That shows that the promises of men are not like the word of God. It's only the word of God that cannot be broken. But the promise of any man, any woman can be broken. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away. So it's better to pitch your life on God's word than to pitch your life on that letter from that boy or that letter from that girl. And we meditate on the words of men as if it's the word of God. And we don't meditate on the word of God at all. Joshua said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate upon it day and night, that thou might make, mightest make thy way prosperous. And thou shalt have good success. But we don't believe it. So, oh, meditation of the word, day and night. How can it make me prosperous? How can it make my path straight? How can I have good success just meditating on the word? I would rather meditate on the words of Paul. Pastor Paul sitting here. Oh, he said he would love me. He said he would never leave me. Oh, Paul. When I think about it, then I'm just melting. <laughs> But Jesus said to you, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But you've never meditated. It doesn't mean much to you. He said, apart from you, you can do nothing. You don't meditate on that. But you like to feed your flesh and your emotions on things that men say. I'm not saying don't meditate on it. Fall in love. It's important. It's nice. Fall in love. But pitch your life on that which never changes. Not on that which is subject to change. And it took God to intervene in Abimelech's bedroom on behalf of Sarah. And I want to tell you that in your walk, in your relationship, in your marriage, many times you will need a godly intervention. Many times you must depend on a divine power and a divine presence to bring you out of certain situations that your spouse will not be able to bring you out of. The Bible has told us that the arm of flesh will fail you. It's not the arm of the flesh of a believer or the flesh of an unbeliever. It's just the arm of flesh just fails, including yours. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you say to your husband, oh, today I'll cook this dish. 
when he comes, it's yesterday's. This we say, oh, I didn't have time. I didn't knock off work early. Whatever. The arm of flesh has failed him. So just like God intervened in Abimelech's situation, sometimes you are given the rough end of the stick. And instead of taking that stick and fighting with it, do warfare on your knees because a divine intervention makes all the difference. And when God intervenes, he doesn't just set you free, he brings you to a place of restoration. Because Abimelech had to even give them things to live with. Because Sarah had been violated. Do you understand? So that Abraham who loved you and whom you loved and followed, he's human and he will let you down sometimes. And when he lets you down, don't be surprised. It is a prophecy. The arm of flesh will fail you. Genesis 21, 9-14 Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the matter displeased Abraham. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. Amen. Amen. Now Sarah saw Ishmael standing afar off and mocking Isaac. And she told Abraham, because of what I've seen, send Ishmael away. Now he cannot be in this house with us. He must leave now. And many women behave like that. But if your child was Ishmael, would you like him to be driven away? I also want to say that there are things that women perceive that men don't see. For instance, Sarah saw that the lad was mocking. Abraham didn't notice any such thing. Because we are made differently by God. And we are supposed to complement each other. But I've learned as a woman that sometimes when you share what you've seen, the man just doesn't get it. Not because he doesn't want to, but he genuinely does not see. So one day I was asking God, how can things be so clear to us sometimes? And the men don't see at all. I mean, God, is it real? Is it scriptural? How can that be? Then I read from the book of Proverbs, I believe seven or eight. It said, I saw a young man, void of understanding, simple-minded, and naive and he was going down the house the road of a strange woman so the lord said to me you know sometimes men can be simple-minded naive not that they are not anointed though but when it comes to certain things they don't see and you don't have to quarrel with them for not seeing because it is two different perspectives when you are sitting here you see the pulpit from here when you are sitting here, you see the pulpit from here. You are both right, but everybody's perspective is different. And you must make room for that. But many times, we as women, we live ahead of times. So sometimes I say to my husband, this thing, it will end up this way. So, oh no, how? I know that, whatever. I just leave it. 
And then sometimes it manifests fully. <laughs> One day there was an issue somewhere. And then somebody sent him a text. And he said, oh, this brother has sent me a text. He said that this and that, you know, and I said, oh, well, that's one side of the story. When the lady comes, she will also have a different version. So, ah, why do you say that? I said, that's, how I, well, that's what I think. She'll have a different version, and she'll say that A, B, C, and D. At that point, he said, eh, really, is that what you think? Then he still continued to talk to the person. So I went about my duties. Then I heard him speak to Dr. Ntefo, Pastor Ntefo. And then Pastor Ntefo said, my husband said, eh, my wife says that when the lady comes, she will say this and that and that and that, A to D, or whatever it was. Then afterwards, Dr. Ntefo called him again and said, the lady says A, B, C, D, then Dr. Tefu was on speaker. Did you say your wife said, and Bishop said, my wife said all oh, this. The way she comes, she will say this. Then Dr. Tefu asked Bishop, how does your wife know? He said, oh, I don't know. She knows. <laughs> and to me, it was so glaring, so simple, so clear. I thought that everybody would know that this is how it will happen. But not everybody knew that. Now, the fact that I was right sometimes does not mean I'm always right. And that is something that women, now you become the personal Holy Ghost of your husband. Say, okay, I've told you two things that are right. So from now, four, five, and six are right. So obey me. But he's not subject to you. He's subject to the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the fact that you have had a few right ones does not arrogate to yourself a personal Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has not given up its place for you. There's no such thing. But we have that temptation to take over. And we have that temptation to manipulate and to be personal Holy Ghost in the lives of our spouses. And that place belongs only to God. <laughs> Although God said in this context, listen to Sarah, your wife, it's not every time that when Abraham listened to Sarah, it worked well. When he listened to Sarah about Hagar, it didn't work well. It brought problems. But after that, God still had confidence in Sarah and said, in this particular issue, listen to Sarah, your wife. Now, if you and I were Sarah, and we had said, let this lad go, and Abraham was greatly distressed, and he wouldn't allow. Hey, you will, you, you, you will make a coup in the house. You will nag. Every day you will be talking about it. Nya, 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 nya. Hey, I've told you that Ishmael will go. If Ishmael does not go, there will be no peace in this house. I've told you that. that, 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 that. The Bible says that a continual dropping on a rainy day on a roof is like the, the, the constant talking of a woman. And when you talk, it does not help the situation, it worsens it. And we women are verbal. So we think that the more words we use, the more the men will understand. Ladies, they understand, but they are not ready to change yet. <laughs> Amen, ladies. So don't waste your time bringing more windows, more explanations. You know, okay, he doesn't understand. Next time when he comes, I'll explain to you. You see, what I was saying was that when you do this and that, this is what is going to happen. And when we say it softly, he doesn't listen. Then we come to threats. 
Okay, you go on. Let me tell you something. This and that is going to happen. And then he still doesn't choose. Okay, so now I am moving on because I see that when I talk, you don't listen. I mean, he is not ready to listen. And unless God says it's time, it's not time. So Sarah can rant, she can rave, she will only be destroying her relationship more. The more she talks, the further the man drives, goes away. Because the Bible says that it's better to dwell in the corner of a roof, a roof than in a house or a palace with a contentious woman. A woman who talks and talks. A lady was telling me in London that she was speaking to her estranged husband. After a daughter convention, she came to tell me. She was speaking to her estranged husband, telling him, look, just come back home and let's work on this marriage. Then her husband said, it's not the coming home, but I'm afraid of you. And I said, oh, that must be very painful. She said, lady pastor, it's very painful, but I've worked through my issues. I said, so why did he say he's afraid of you? I said, I think that when we were staying together, I talked too much, you know? And I said, you know, God has called us to be wives, not mothers, to our husbands. But because of our motherly nature, Sometimes we want to add them to our children and mother them. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's okay to mother them with tenderness, but where you want to mother them as to, like your child, don't go, come, sit here, do this, then rebellion will come. Because he's not your son, he's your husband. Amen. Amen. So, sometimes, you may speak, but he doesn't hear. So speak. Make sure your message has gone through. But beyond that, leave it to the Holy Spirit. That is one of the most distressing places to come to. Do you understand? But the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom. Do this. Say this. Go here. Be quiet now. Let me ask you. There are many things you didn't know that God just worked out for you. Why do you think now that you must take over and use your human energy to work things out? When Abraham went away, God himself deemed it fit to come to him and say, listen to Sarah, your wife. But God's reason was that my covenant is not with this particular son. It's with another son. But Sarah's reason was that this lad will not be together with my child. So, there are different reasons, but they end up in the same action. But it doesn't make you right. I don't know if you understand. God's reason is more spiritual, covenant-based. Our reason is more carnal and selfish-based. And yet, it ends up in the same leaving of his Ishmael. The Lord help us all. Amen. We are reading on Genesis 23, 1-4. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath Jarabah, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Verse 19. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mama, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. 
So the field and the cave that is in it were deemed over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Genesis 25 verse 1. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. And she bought to him Zimran and Jokshan and Medan and Median and Ishbak and Shua. And Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim and all that. Ladies, no man can love you to eternity. When you die, he'll come and weep and mourn for you. But it doesn't mean that he will not meet a Keturah. As Mrs. Saki has been called on to glory, people tell me different things. Some people say to me, ah, so Bishop Saki is getting married soon. So will the person sit where Mrs. Saki sat? I said, yes. Ah, Auntie Mami, I can't take it. And most of the people who can't take it are women. <laughs> it has sparked off great debates in the church. People have started to ask their husbands, ah, so you, when I die, will you marry again? And I just wonder, why they want to perpetuate their reign. And I say to them, you know what? Mrs. Saki went away in Holy Ghost class. And do you know something? She's not thinking about these earthly arrangements. She's on a higher realm. Abraham came and mourned and wept for Sarah, negotiated her burial that it has to be in a special place, paid for it, buried her, was sad, but it doesn't mean that he will not meet another woman. So the earlier we become practical, the better. Some homes were shaking when this debate came up. <laughs> some people were saying, eh? So you might again, hey, you are some way, you are some way. <laughs> it brought problems. Many women, I think, I could be wrong, many women would not like to marry again. But many brothers, they need to marry because they need their daily bread. Yeah. Amen, ladies. Yeah. There's a certain bread that if they don't have, our marriages here on earth are arranged by God to be a temporary arrangement. It's not supposed to carry us through to eternity. It's a hard fact, but it's true. It's a painful fact to every woman's heart, but it's true. We are not supposed to build eternal tents around temporal places. There's no such thing. Before Mrs. Saki passed away, my husband had asked me on a very serious note that, so if you ever are called to heaven by God, what should I do? And I said, oh, what type of morbid topic is this? I don't like talking about it. He said, oh, but we have to talk about it before it happens because it's a reality. You know, my, my husband is very direct, down to earth, that type. And I'm the diplomatic side. So I said, oh, what morbid topic? It's not a nice topic. He said, we have to talk about it. What happens to our children? Then he said, would you like me to marry again? I said, oh, cry, be happy. He was not happy when I said that. And then he said, I will, if you don't speak now, I will be scratching your grave to ask you, give me direction, show me what to do. And then I laughed. Then the next day, I called Mrs. Saki and said, oh, listen to a funny topic Bishop brought up that we should talk about. And Mrs. Saki said, yes, and I think 
he has asked my husband whether he has asked me. So my husband has also asked me, and we have had that conversation. And I said, really? And she said, yes. I've answered everything. I've told him that he should marry again with my blessing. And I said, ah, but you too. You have taken this thing very personal. She said, and she's also like Bishop's temperament. So she said, but it's serious. It's something that has to be talked about. I said, hey, some people are serious here, not knowing that God would call her to heaven soon after. And her husband is grateful that he had that conversation with her. But she was a practical person who spoke about practical things. So no matter how you love your husband, sisters, separation will come. That is why during the marriage vows we say, till death us do part. Because death will part you. If not divorce. Which God is not in favor of. All things being equal. <laughs> All things are not equal. Amen. Sometimes you are not in favor, but your spouse leaves you. What do you do? All those complex issues. Do you understand? But when Abraham's wife passed away, the next chapter, he calls the servant to go and look for a wife for Isaac. So as his son has married, he marries after his son, another woman. It's the nature of all men, brothers. <laughs> it is not that they would like to lose their spouses. No man, generally speaking, wants to lose his spouse and start all over again. It's a job. It's a job. But when it happens, instead of hopping from woman to woman, from woman to woman, it's better they marry so that they can eat their daily bread. Sisters, you understand? Even Pastor Chris, you see his face in the like He eats daily bread fully. Amen. So Abraham went on a married Keturah and even had children with her. So it's a good conversation to have. But that shows that there's no eternal relationship. There's no relationship here on earth that does not end. Why? Because our, our very nature is a fallen nature. Our very lives come to an end. And so because of that, Paul said, knowing this, what manner of man ought we to be? We need to lift up our eyes to eternal things. We need to invest more in eternity. Because in eternity, Christ will marry us all. We'll become his bride. And that thing that you have been looking for, that perfect relationship, will only be realized in heaven. But it will be realized. Amen. So if you put your all into this life, and then God calls you home unexpectedly, how will you answer before God? There's a relationship that never changes. The Bible says if we deny him, he does not deny us because he cannot deny himself. It's just not his nature. The Bible says, cast not away your confidence, for it has great recompense of reward. The Bible says, faithful is he who called you, who also would do it. The Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it's a good relationship to invest in. And it's a higher relationship than these earthly ones that have expiry dates like the meat on shelves in the shops. Amen. Amen. And eternal relationships satisfy more than temporary relationships. Of course, God will ask you about everything. 
that you did on earth. The Bible says that everything we've been, we, we will be judged for everything. So you must work at being a good spouse. But I'm saying that don't look for permanence here because it does not exist. It is a temporary arrangement, whether you like it or not. But the things that are permanent and eternal, they are above. And so like Paul said, seek those things which, which are above, where Christ is seated. So set your affection. Your affection is like a clock. You set the hands. And Paul says, set your affection on things that are above and not on things below. Because things that are above satisfy. Things that are below, they have their limitations. Amen. Amen. Some of us, we are not heavenly minded at all. Our every investment is only in temporary things. And the Lord will help us to overcome. Genesis 25. I think we've read that one. When Abraham took to wife. Okay. Now, Genesis 25. Have I read verse 2 and all that? 32, 36. There's no 36 even. Okay, first Samuel. No? Genesis 27. Let's finish with Genesis. Genesis 27. And we'll end with uh, uh, types of relationships that we come back for question and answer. Genesis 27, are we there? Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold, now I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a, very, a savory dish for me such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. And Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, to her, her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice kids from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I shall be as a deceiver in his sight, and I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your cares be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her eldest son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her youngest son. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands on the, and on the smooth path of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son. Then he came to his father and said, My father. This is a relationship where communication had broken down. Isaac had a mind towards Esau, but he never communicated it to Rebekah. He never told Rebekah what his intentions were. Although Esau was the son of both of them, he never shared with her that, oh, 
You know, you cook for me all the time, but this time I've sent Esau to go to the fields and cook for me. And then when he comes, I'll bless him. And I want to bless him because the Bible says the firstborn is blessed and all that. And then Rebecca would have said, but when I was pregnant, God said that the younger will rule and the older shall serve the younger. So why? And then Isaac would say, oh, because I believe that still the firstborn has a blessing and all that. But you don't discuss anything. You don't discuss your plans. You don't discuss your intentions. And that alienates your wife. And she also looks for other ways of fulfilling what she thinks should be done. I believe that when it comes to communication, it's usually the brothers who don't communicate. Or don't communicate well. <laughs> In fact, sometimes I think that that is why, one of the reasons why Eve fell into sin. Because she needed somebody to talk to. How can she be in the garden and hold such a long conversation with Satan and Adam not even come looking for her? How come he never knew that his wife had been with the serpent? Or did he just ignore it? And the first trick that Satan used was just conversation. Has God said that you should not eat of this fruit? It's just verbal conversation. And most of the time, a woman just wants communication. So brothers, talk to us. You don't talk. We just, you just, act. a friend of mine said, you know, my husband, he does not communicate with me. He behaves like a magician and he expects me to be impressed. And I said, what does that mean? She said, he, he was buying me a brand new car. Everything is always a surprise. It's not that it's your birthday, then it's a surprise. Everything is a surprise. So I come from work, and then there's this brand new car parked in the driveway. It's not my birthday or anything. And then I say, oh, where is this car from? Ta-da-la, it's for you. <laughs> and I said, oh. But he has to put surprise to make it. I said that, no, Lady Pastor, everything is a surprise, oh. I come home, our furniture has been moved out, a new one has been moved in. When I say, talala, it's a surprise. <laughs> she said, the surprises in my life are too many. I don't enjoy it. When he's traveling, I don't know, talala, it's a surprise. Everything is a surprise. <laughs> Amen. So maybe he, it was his idea of being romantic, but it was not working. A woman wants to feel a part of what you are doing, even if she's not actively involved in it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and when you make her feel a part, she will support you all the way. Tell us, tell us. But when you don't share where we are going, what we are doing. I want Esau to do that. You don't say it. So Rebecca has to listen at the door to hear you. She will also create her own Jacob to counteract what you are doing, what you are saying. Because she will not have the opportunity to ask you questions for clarity, understand. You, she doesn't even have to get you to agree with her, but just communication. Verbal communication. Some of you may you just grant. Mm, I go, mm, come, mm, I do it. Uh. 
you marry us to make us part of the furniture in your home, then please don't marry us. We want to be more than the furniture in your home. Many times people complain about things without seeing the root cause. How did the person get there? Some people say, oh, my husband, he just spends his whole time on the computer chatting with strange women, doing all sorts of things, and he never talks to me. As I said in the first chapter, we need to look at ourselves and see how we are contributing. It is true that he is some way, but why sometimes is he not talking to you? Not always. Sometimes he's just some way. He's just a neighbor. But sometimes he doesn't talk to you because everything he says, you oppose it. You have made yourself the chief opposition leader and head of the opposition party. <laughs> Sometimes that is because we see loopholes. It is natural. We see loopholes before the men see it. You see, so when he says, Oh, I've been sent to Blacktown to start a church, I'm going to Black Blacktown to start a church. Blacktown, where? There's no train station there. It's very far. The people will not walk there, that this will not that, that that will not that. You have killed his vision. And that will not encourage him to always come and share his vision with you. So ladies, it is true that we see the loopholes, but let's look for what is positive in it and talk about that first. Before we bring up the loopholes. Ladies, are you understanding me? So if he comes this, I've been sent to Blacktown to start. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, the call of God that you have always wanted is now coming to fruition. Oh, what an opportunity. Really? God is giving you an opportunity to really manifest your gift and to preach. And oh, I really believe you are called. God will do it. I'm sure you should go for it. I, I believe that the anointed that will flow, it will not be easy. After you have said that, some days later, then you come and say, but you know, Blacktown, why don't we look for another place in Blacktown, but maybe not where we are, because you know, transportation is this and that. What do you think? Oh, I think that that's where we should go. Oh, okay. If you really think that's where we should go, I'm with you 100%. We are going. Do you understand? Such a person would always like to pass his ideas through you. But when you are chief opposition party leader, it is unlikely that anything will be shared with you. And we see the loopholes. I'm telling you, and our natural inclination is to warn. Be careful. This thing that you're doing, be careful. But is that all that there is to the picture? There are other things to the picture. I myself have had to learn that lesson of looking at the positive things and bringing them to bear. And that opens the person's heart to you. And then he will talk to you about things. So, but Lady Pastor, it's true. The idea he brought wasn't good. It's not, the, but there's some good in everything. So look for the good and celebrate it before you start to criticize. But if every time you criticize, it does not help. Amen, ladies. Amen. We have a lot of work to do, isn't it? But the Lord will help us. So Rebecca has to listen at the door and say, ah. So he is planning to bless Esau. I don't agree. I'm going to frustrate his plans. And then she calls Jacob and says, your father has called to say the division in the home. One son on this side, the other son on this side. Lack of communication brings division in the home. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself 
cannot stand. It's even the same with the church. Do you understand? Sometimes you want to do something and then you discuss it. And the church members are not saying, oh, no, no, no. Pastor, let's know whatever. At the end of the day, one leader has to take the decision. And when the leader takes the decision, let's follow and trust and believe that it will be well. Amen. If I was to go by my feelings, perhaps the church will not be where it is. Because sometimes when Bishop has said to me, um, I said, oh, where is Brother Michael now? Oh, he's going to DRC. I said, hey, DRC. It's a very wild place. Is it stable? Is it this? Is it? I'll be thinking about a lot of things. But I've learned not to say the negative things. Because when the person goes, invariably it works. The people have their challenges, but invariably it works. And when they come back, they say, Bishop, thank you for sending us. It has brought another dimension. So what I would have used is just my emotions. Don't go. Oh, it's so frightening. Oh, But in an army, soldiers go. And he himself tells me, it's not always easy to send people. But you also have to obey God to send people. Do you understand? And I think that God chooses certain people to do certain hard things. And chooses other people to do other things. So, if you're always pushing your emotions, how you feel, how you... Things may not go the way God intends. So, if Esau is to be blessed by Isaac, and yet God has said that the older will serve the younger, leave God to bring it about himself. He does not need you, because when the children had not come, he said that the older will serve the younger. How? You don't know. Esau had already sold his birthright. So this was going to come to Jacob anyway. The birthright had been sold, including everything that went with it. But you decided that I must do something about it. And Jacob said to the mother, If I do that, I'll become a deceiver. And I'll bring a curse upon myself. And you know what Rebecca said? The curse should be upon me. It doesn't matter. What I want is what will be done. I don't care the curse and the consequences. And when she sent Jacob away, she said, go away, your brother's anger will subside and you will come. By the time Jacob came back, Rebecca was already dead. She never saw that son again. Lack of communication divides the house. Lack of communication brings deception. And when the seed of deception is sown, it goes on and on and on, like in Jacob's life. So that God had to come and wrestle with him and change his name from deceiver to a prince. Amen. Amen. So, gentlemen, talk to us. Tell us what you want to do. I know that sometimes God speaks to you and you can't tell everything. Like when uh, God said that Abraham should take Isaac to the mountain. I mean, it's good he didn't tell Sarah. Because if you tell me such a thing, I will freak out. And it will even make sense to me. I will tell you that. God can never, the gifts and calling of God, they are without repentance. So why, why, why can God give you something and ask you to come and kill that same thing? God is even against human sacrifice. I'll give you 55 reasons why it's not God. But Abraham knew, so that one, he didn't communicate. But I'm talking about normal and general communication. Some of you, you are very chatty at church. When you get home, you are like a mouse. You don't speak. Because you have done all your speaking at church. 
Some of you, you are not married yet. You see the brother in church, he's talking, very jovial, cracking jokes. Say, oh, when I marry him, lady first, I'll laugh so much. It's not true. When he goes home, he's different. Completely different. But the Lord will help us. Amen. Amen. So lack of communication kills relationships. And it ought not to be so. Second Samuel 13 is the last one. Second Samuel 13. I'm also turning my pages there. Reading from verse 1. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin. And it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend. <laughs> Watch out who your friend is. Whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he said to him, O oh, son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please, let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down, and she took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. Verse 9. And she took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he will not listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. For the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go away. But she said to him, No, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. Then he called his young man who attended him and said, Now throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Now she had on a long-sleeved garment, for in this manner the virgin daughters of the king dressed themselves in robes. Then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long-sleeved garment which was on her. And she put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. Amen. This is a relationship 
that is based only on one person's desire. Tamar was a beautiful woman. And the Bible says that Amnon loved her. Now, the Bible says that Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister, Tamar, that he made himself ill. For she was a virgin. For means because she was a virgin. And it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. Amen. Now, we are told at this juncture that Amnon is in love with Tamar. But the Bible gives us the reason because she was a virgin. Men like challenge. Men like things that they don't have yet. And they like to hunt and follow something to capture it. So as long as Tama remained a virgin, there was something he didn't have that he needed to pursue. Amen. Amen. And for those of you sisters who are not married, you have no business sleeping with that man. And don't be surprised when he changes because you slept with him. You have given him everything. What else should he look forward to? Tell me. What should he look forward to? But the fact that he has not beheld, and he has not seen, and he has not touched, is a driving force for him. Amen. So when Amnon didn't have her yet, there was a driving force to conquer, to hunt, and to follow. That is a man. Amen. Bible says that, and because she was a virgin, he even found it hard to do anything to her. When God says that our bodies are the temple, we should keep it from sin, it is for our sakes. It's not because there's something so nice that God wants to withhold from you. It's not because God does not want you to be happy in this life. But God is saying that at the right time, I will release you. Amen. You know, we had a, a, a talk at the Lighthouse Hospital in Ghana just before I came. The Saturday before I came. It was titled Women's Health Concerns. And the specialist there, she worked in America for a while, Dr. Nabia, and she, she's now in Ghana. So she had a forum called Women's Health Concerns. So all of us from the church and the different branches, we were invited and we came for that meeting. And one of the things she said was that as soon as a baby girl is born, she is born with a lot of eggs for making babies. In fact, not before she's born. While she's in the womb, around a certain time, she develops those eggs. And then when she comes out, the eggs are more, about two million. But they are never released till puberty. And even when they are released at puberty, the mother is also not mature enough to have a baby. So some years go by. Then the woman becomes mature and all that. And then she has the baby. So even though the eggs are there, they are not to be used as soon as you come out of the womb. Amen. They are to be released later. And one of the things she said was that the number of eggs you come out with, they don't increase. It was frightening. They don't increase. If you came out with two million, that's what you have. And then when you start puberty, every month, one egg is released. But there are more than one which are released, about 15. Every month oh, times your lifetime. So she said that that is why when women are 
older, it's more difficult for us to achieve childbearing because the eggs have been there before you left the womb. It's the same eggs. So by that time, the eggs are tired. And they are not as active. I was so surprised. Then I asked, what about the men? She said, oh, the men, every 74 days, they produce. Every 74 days, they produce. And when they produce, millions. But only one can fertilize the egg. And she said something. She said that when the men produce, it goes after just one egg. But it's about, it's millions, two million sperms chasing one egg. Two million. That's how nature, just your body. Two million chasing one, just one egg. So if you are the one who gets fertilized and you come onto this earth, God really has a purpose. For your life. But what I learned from it is that God may invest in you or put certain things in you, like even the eggs, but it's not time for them to be released. In the same way, God may give you your sexuality and all that, but it's not time for it to be released. Amen. But the men always lie to us. Oh, if you love me, prove it. If you love me, sleep with me. If you love it, oh, I don't know how to prove it. don't you know how to prove it? Buy him a bar of chocolate to prove that you love him. Amen. And I think that that same thing that happens in the womb, well, whatever the man releases, chases that one egg. It's the same in life, that women should be pursued. Amen. Amen. And not the other way around. Now, this same person, after he has used you, then he will be saying that, I mean, I don't want to marry these promiscuous girls. Oh, I want to marry a woman who will stay at home and have just one man. I don't want to. But he's the same person who destroyed you. I was speaking at the Kodesh. I said to the men, every day you say, we are not virgins. We are broken our virginity. We are this, we are that. Let me ask you, who broke our virginity? Who? When you come into Christ, even if you've broken your virginity, there's something called secondary virginity in the world. But in Christ, you have been washed. And you must start as the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. Because things are to be done in honor. The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. But any other bed is defiled. Amen. You are giving him something that he must work for. Something that, you see, like Jacob. When Leah was given to him like that, he didn't like it. But when you have to work for Rachel, eh? seven years more, uh-huh. he's ready to do that. So this Amnon, he is ill because he cannot have Tamar. Look, men fall ill when they can't have their daily bread. Amen. And ladies, instead of trying to figure it out, how, I don't understand, just accept that that's how God made them. And flow, that's all. Amen. Just flow, don't, you cannot understand it, that's how it is. So this Amnon, because of this, he can fall ill. Hey! It must be a very important thing. 
Then his friend tells him, well, why don't you devise a plan? Do this and that. And then Tama will come into your house. And then when she comes into your house, ask everybody to go out. And then you do your best. Now, Tama was also influenced by naivety or simple-mindedness. When you come to a man's house and he has sent everybody away, why should you stay there? You should also leave. But most of us sisters, we see the trap and we walk into it. And then we say, oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is not weak. The flesh is foolish. Amen. The Bible says that make straight paths for your feet. So there are certain places that we know that when you are walking, if you take step one, two, three, and four will follow. Why do you take the first step in the first place? Amen. Why? Why do you take that first? And when I went to his flat, then he said he was showering. So I should sit on the bed and wait. And the lady pastor, before I knew, he's showering. Tell him that you are going out. When he finishes, he should call you that you come and visit him or you will meet him somewhere. But he's showering. He has only one bedroom flat. And he, shower, he will come to that same place. And you are beloved too. And it's not easy. And you are not making straight pathways. The Bible didn't say negotiate youthful lust. It said flee. Flee youthful lust. It didn't say negotiate, discuss youthful lust. It said flee. Amen. Amen. So this man says, let everybody go out and come and make cakes in my sight. How simple-minded can you be? And the one he sends everybody away, he defiles her. And when he defiles her, the Bible says that immediately he hated her. He hated her. Why? Because you remind him of his depravity. You remind him of how low he can fall. And now he begins to wish that you didn't exist. Love, so-called lust, has turned into hatred. Because it's very easy to have that flip side. And when he does that, this time he calls people to come and throw you out. <laughs> Women, we deserve better than that. And we need to respect ourselves. The place where a man can call people to throw you out, it means that the relationship has fallen too low. And it does not have to be that way. Amen. She was so overcome by her sorrow that she was just crying. And then the man organized people. I don't want to see you. The very man, the person that you were lasting after so much that you fell ill. Now that you have gotten her, it has turned into hatred. And you are throwing her out. He threw her out with the help of other people. And he bolted the door behind her. How can love change to hatred like that? I submit that it's untamed animalistic desire called lust. That's right. Because love is something you cultivate. But lust just comes on and goes like a switch. Amen. And, and Tama said one thing. She said that this, this evil of sending me away is greater than the one of even defiling me. Why? Because she felt the rejection. It's like you are being thrown out as a piece of garbage. And ladies, that's why I preach that message. Woman, who are you? You are not your experiences. You are not how a man treats you. You are who God says you are. Many women stay in very violent homes and situations. And sometimes I say, oh, lady pastor, you see, the Bible is against divorce. 
So I have to stay in that situation. You don't have to. You can still run. Jesus said, if you are being persecuted in one town, run to the next. Amen. Amen. So you need to run, baby, run. Instead of sitting there and saying, any pastor, every day he beats me. He will continue to beat you because you have no self-worth yourself. But if you rise up and take your life into your hands in terms of, we need to talk about this thing. This beating cannot go on all the time. You need to seek help from somebody. And unless you seek help and all that, nothing is going to happen. I think that women should come to that place. Hallelujah. But when Tama is thrown out, she just continues to weep and weep and weep and weep and weep. And then she tears her clothes. The princess's clothes that she was wearing, she tears it because she, identif- she, she changes her identity from princess to a slut because she uses her experiences to define who she is. And that is not scripture. Amen. You see, women are always being persecuted. The woman who was caught in adultery, do you commit adultery alone? But every time, she alone is brought before Jesus. And the man is left scot-free. And when she came, she was brought by men to Jesus. And Jesus said, anyone who has not sinned should throw the first stone. And then they all leave, and then he says, neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't stop that. He says, go and sin no more. We need to live lives of purity. When we have been set free by Jesus, we need to go and sin no more, and sin no more, and sin no more. The essence of the Holy Spirit is to give us power to walk in holiness and in righteousness before God. Hallelujah. Sometimes some men can say, I said, why have you slept with this lady? Oh, lady pastor, she seduced me. I said, really? It takes two. She seduced you. Okay. So now that she's pregnant, will you mind? Oh, no, no, no. Lady pastor, my idea of a wife is not here at all. Me. And when I think, I feel so sorry for the women. I feel so sorry. I said, ah, did she not know that it will come to this? Did she not? I said, no, 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 no. How she be a lady person? This is the last person I would like to marry. I said, so when you were sleeping with her, you didn't know she was the last person you would like. Oh, lady pastor, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Majority. There are few people I know who get pregnant out of wedlock because in our church, when you get pregnant out of wedlock and you want to marry, we do not have an open church ceremony for you like this. We'll announce your bans, but you get married in the office or in a quiet way. You don't come into open church to get married like that. But many of the guys, when I ask them, so will you marry? Oh, no, at all, lady pastor. And sometimes when they are marrying, the ones that they have had children with come to say that, lady pastor, I have a child with him. Sometimes, often they are not even our church members. I have a child with him. How can he now have a wedding? And I say, legally, the fact that he made you pregnant does not mean you are his wife. The fact that he made you pregnant does not mean he ought to marry you. No. He has chosen to go another way. There was a time, it was a tug of war. 
Some people came to sit in the service with what we call palm oil. Is this red oil? Eh? They were coming to pour it on the bride to be her white dress. Because a man had had a child with somebody else and was now coming to contract this new marriage. And you know, we announce in church, if anybody has just cause, they never came. But they came on the wedding day. The bride had to be evacuated. The man had to be given clothes, plain clothes to wear like a plain clothes policeman. So that he would pass through the crowd and not be seen. This one is not a, a Discovery Channel, it's live. It's not a reality TV show, I saw it live. And I look at it and I say, we women also allow the men. And then our lives become complicated. We need to walk in wisdom. Amen. Amen. We need to walk in holiness. Because if not, it brings mistrust in the relationship. You see, God knows why. We need to clean up our act and become real children of God. And I believe that when we do that, we will be blessed. Now, why have I taken you through all these things? Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17 verse 5 that says the Lord cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitants. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its root by a stream, and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Amen. Amen. Now, sometimes people say, oh, has somebody cursed you? Sometimes somebody has not cursed you, but you have cursed yourself. Because the Bible says here, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and who makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Many times, we make our relationships our strength. We put our trust in human beings. We put our trust in our marriages. It's good to trust your spouse, but the ultimate person to trust is God. And the Bible says that when you do that, when you don't put your trust in the right place, you are like a bush in the desert. You don't see when prosperity comes. You live in stony waste in the wilderness. You are like a land of salt without inhabitants. But when you trust in the Lord, you are blessed. You are like a tree planted by the water. You extend your root by a stream. You will not fear when heat comes. But your leaves will be green. And you will not be anxious in a year of drought. And even when it's a year of drought, you will not cease to yield fruit. I came to tell you that 
There's no perfect relationship on this earth. I came to tell you that don't set unattainable marking schemes for your spouse. He or she will not pass. If you are getting married because you feel you will never be disappointed, then don't marry because you will be disappointed many times. And you will also disappoint many times. Amen. So if that's the premise with which you are building a relationship, then forget about it. Because the arm of flesh has been determined that it will fail you. Amen. Most Christian marriages don't work because we put too much strain. And sometimes you have a good husband, but you don't have a perfect husband. You have a good wife, but you don't have a perfect wife. God didn't say that you will marry a perfect wife. He said that by the regeneration of the washing of the water by the word, you will present to yourself a glorious church. Amen. 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 So, brothers, nourishing comes from you, cherishing comes from you, and our state depends on you. Amen. How your wife looks is the work that you have done in her. Amen. Amen. And a, a woman is like a computer. What you put in is what you get out. Garbage in, garbage out. Amen. Amen. So put good things in here. Because after all, whatever you put it in here, you are presenting it to yourself. Amen. A glorious church. Amen. Amen. Then it says to wives, submit unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. And when you read submit in the Amplified, it says, make yourself secondary to, adaptable. So I ask all of you who are not married yet, if you are not ready to make yourself secondary to sometimes his ideas, his moves, when the two of you don't agree, whose vote will carry, because even in a constitutional government, the president has vetoing powers, because somebody must have a higher mandate than somebody. Amen. So, when that happens, can you say I do? I do is easy to say during the vows. But during the marriage, it's not easy to say. So you need to prayerfully consider all these things. And know that we are blessed with the relationships that God gives us. And they are all to meet needs. But a real perfect relationship lies in Jesus. Amen. And I and myself have discovered that there are times when you will be alone. There are times when you will be lonely. There are times when you speak to your spouse about something. He does not understand, like Abraham. When Sarah says, Ishmael is mocking, eh, where, when, why, what? From the questions, you see that you are on a different keel, different page, different wavelength. But there's a God who never changes, Amen. who remains the same. Amen. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. We need to find a life of our own especially the ladies. If you don't have a life and your life is just always waiting for your husband to come home, you will put unnecessary pressure on him and you will be unhappy. So look in yourself, I always say. Find what makes you happy. It has to be godly. <laughs> find what gives you fulfillment. I have found that one of the things that gives me the greatest fulfillment is pastoring. I love to pastor people. I love to make a way for people. When they say, oh, this one, it won't work. Or this one, 
I just find that I naturally like to take it up and help the person through. Do you understand? Everybody's strength is different. But I like to pastor people. I like to counsel people. The only thing is, their stories also break my heart. And sometimes I become depressed for people's sake. But it's part of the job. But I found that that gives me a lot of fulfillment. When I'm able to speak into people's lives, when I'm able to lift up the downtrodden, it makes so much of a difference to me. Perhaps for you, it may be evangelism. For you, it may be something else. But find what your niche is and then use that. And God will give you fulfillment. So when you come home, you are tired, you are fulfilled, and you don't even see faults. As your husband is ministering, you are also ministering and doing whatever you should do. You are doing follow-up, you are doing this. So it's not another way you can say, eh, so why did you go here? Why did, you didn't even notice that he went there. Why? Because you are also dealing with issues on your plates. Amen. And sometimes when he even phones that he's coming, you say, yeah, he should delay for a few minutes because I have so many things to do. That I don't want the things to be disturbed. So even though he says he's coming, I wish he would come in 30 minutes, by which time I would have finished what I'm doing. One thing I also love to do is I love to read. I love to read especially historic books about people's lives, how they made it, the triumphs, the difficulties they had, and just history. I love to read like Henry VIII. He had six wives. I have a fat book like this. And my husband just buys them for me. Fat book like the six wives of Henry VIII. And when I read it, I've even found major windows in it to use for my preaching. Every wife, he had a different problem with the wife, but the real problem was with him. <laughs> you see, and I like to look at why this wife so lasted longer and why. Because Anne Boleyn, who came after the first wife, she just thought that she, she was coming to make everything perfect and she was some way, you know. She took some of the first wife's things she was using. She was really some way. Little knowing that just as the first wife's head had been chopped off, she too, her head was chopped off like that. You know, and when she was isolated, then she said, maybe the way I treated the first wife, that is why this is happening to me. So those of you women who think that you are girlfriends and therefore you have come to solve a problem, it's just for a moment. Amen. But I love to read these fat books and to know people's lives. What do they do? How do they make it? I have a lot of books about pastors' wives. How do they make it? How do they conquer? How do they deal with their difficulties? What do they do? How do they triumph through everything and not destroy their husband's ministry at the same time? How do they deal with their loneliness? Because you, when you have a problem, you will see Pastor Chris. When Pastor Chris has a problem, he will see Pastor Peter. When Pastor Peter has a problem, he will see Bishop. When I have a problem, who should I go to? <laughs> Do you understand? So then I read about people who are also at that level. How do they cope with what they had? And then I get more insight. I become more fulfilled. And the Lord is leading us from glory to glory. So God bless you in Jesus' name. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi.
or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Hewitt Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.